Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. This is David Greenstein, and we are studying Tractate Masachet Eruvin, Daf Ayin Tet, page 79. On this page, we continue uh, thinking about the issue of separators, divisions, between two areas of dwellings, and the question of when these separators are definitive, and each area is considered, therefore, a separate area that needs its own Eruv, and when such a separator can be overcome, mitigated, uh, breached, so that the two uh, dwelling areas can be uh, combined through one Eruv. The separator that we're talking about here is not a wall that has been erected between these two courtyards, but a ditch or a trench that uh, exists between the two of them. And then the question becomes uh, the possibility of bridging the, uh, uh, the ditch either with planks or by filling it in with various materials. At the beginning of uh, 79a, it just is uh, interesting to note that we have reference to kind of proto-tractates that the rabbis were already uh, uh, producing that later developed into the tractates that we recognize. The tractate Oholot is mentioned and our own tractate Eruvin is mentioned as subjects that various uh, uh, rabbis uh, concentrated their teachings around. And the question becomes whether one area of rabbinic discussion can be analogized uh, with regard to another area of rabbinic discussion. For instance, the question of ritual impurity and purity, Tumah v'tahara, does that have a direct analogy uh, to be applied to questions of Shabbat, of Sabbath law? In a certain sense, the analogy here is the very same analogy of the whole subject of this tractate of Eruvin. Two separate areas. Can they be uh, made into one common area? Or should they be kept in their own separate identities? The Mishnah that is quoted on 79a talks about another kind of partition, and this partition is made out of straw. It is a big pile of straw that separates two areas, and this kind of partition seems to be amenable to uh, even more of a uh, uh, process of uh, over uh, overcoming it as a partition, of breaching it. And uh, it can be diminished because it's made out of pieces of straw that can be uh, taken away, blown away, or uh, devoured by uh, living creatures. Nevertheless, at the beginning, if there is enough of uh, such a pile, that pile is considered to be a definitive separator for the purposes of Shabbat. The Mishnah then says, we don't keep people away from using that pile of straw, even though that may, in the end, 
uh, create a problem by reducing the pile to the point where the two areas uh, of uh, dwellings would be combined and then the question was if an Erev was not made to allow uh, the use of both areas together um, people might uh, be led to Shabbat prohibitions. Nevertheless we let that happen uh, and we take the risk. We come to another Mishnah on 79b and at this point we are changing the subject. Instead of talking about Eruvei Chatzerot, mostly, about the Eruv that allows us to use two separate dwelling areas as one dwelling area, the Mishnah now asks, Ketzad Mishtatfin B'mavui? How does one create a common sense of usage for an alleyway? In Talmudic times, the various courtyards themselves would then feed into joint alleyways, and those alleyways, the mavo, uh, could be used commonly by all the, the uh, neighborhood if there was a shituf, if there was a partnership that was created. So the Mishnah deals with the question of how to make that partnership work. Process is one of, again, combining uh, ownership of some foodstuff that would symbolically create one big family, so to speak, uh, among all of the different people who would be using that area, so that each person would feel that they could go in and out of the streets and the courtyards and the homes in that neighborhood because the food uh, available in any of those spaces was everybody's food. The Mishnah talks about the idea that one person can do this by putting the food in a container and then, on behalf of everyone else, handing over that container to someone else and having that someone represent the interests of all other people who dwell in that area. In fact, uh, one particular uh, important contemporary Sage thinks that that's exactly why the word shituf is used here instead of eruv. Eruv means mixture. Everybody contributes a piece of food to a common pot. And here, one person is dedicating the, their own food to everyone. The Mishnah talks about who can represent all the other dwellers. The person that represents them has to be someone who has a separate identity from the person who is giving the food over. And here we get into the topic of family members. When a person is living in community, we might think about the family members vis-a-vis uh, -vis that person, especially if that person is the head of the family in a patriarchal society. The members of that person's family, in a certain sense, could be seen as functioning as the partitions that we talked about in the past couple of pages. Partitions that both separate that person from his neighbors, and also as liminal entities that can serve as connectors to those other people, the space outside of one's own household. And the Mishnah deals with the question of which members of one household are sufficiently independent of the head of the household to function as representatives of the outside world and not be co-opted by the head of the household himself.
And the interesting distinctions that are made are between young children and also the question of one's wife, one's spouse. Can one's wife be considered independent enough to be a representative of the rest of the world, or must she be considered to be under the uh, rule of her husband? With regard to children, the distinction is made between minors and grown children. One's small children are under one's own uh, auspices, and therefore they can't represent somebody else. But a grown child uh, certainly can. The medieval authorities, the Tosafot and other commentators, talked about this issue and raised a couple of other complications. They asked the question, what about a grown child who has not moved out of the house? What about a grown child who is still samuch al shulchan aviv? A person who still depends on his father to uh, uh, eat, to support him. And the discussion revolves around the question of whether such a situation um, overrides the fact that the uh, grown-up is their own independent person. In our own society, we wonder about this as well. We wonder about the infantilizing effects of having grown children in, uh, unable to get their own jobs, unable to move out of the house. So this discussion is included uh, and uh, debated in the medieval authorities. With regard to one's wife, there's also a uh, interesting discussion going back and forth using different Talmudic sources to try to figure out when is one's spouse seen as an independent individual and when do we see the wife as being totally under the control of her husband. And again, the idea of financial dependence is brought up. What if the woman needs to be supported and is given an allowance uh, by her husband? Can she then be credited as a separate individual? What if she lives in another home in that courtyard, but she is still given payment by her husband in order to support her? When do we finally draw the line and recognize her as a separate agent, in which case she can represent others. She qualifies to be an other on behalf of the other people in the neighborhood. This is a continuing source of wonder in our uh, various medieval commentators and subsequently those who follow their thoughts and their discussions and try to apply them. We struggle with these questions today. In what sense does an economic perspective rule our vision of human interrelationships, specifically within the family and within marriage? In what sense does the family unit erase or override individual identity, identities? And in which sense do we privilege individual uniqueness despite our connections with others. We'll see this continuing discussion as it unfolds in the following pages of our Talmud.
I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.